Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. All right, so let's get back to the NFL, though. Brandon Staley at 940, Charles Davis at 10 o'clock, and me right now. You know, it's been a few days since Tom Brady talked about Tom Brady. So you know it was time to do it again, right? You knew this guy had to do it again because he hadn't done it like in two hours. The amazing thing about this guy is he retires a few weeks back, and yet he's making sure that people keep talking about him even more so now than when he actually played in the NFL. It feels like everywhere I go, someone is talking about Tom Brady, and it's like the worst thing. Tuesday, Buccaneers head coach Bruce Arian said this. Oh, that door's never closed. Whenever Tom wants to back, he's back. If Tom comes back, we'll have plenty of money for him. Great. And he's not the only one. GM, Jason Light, said this. No, I, I think with a, with a Tom Brady, you never, I personally never want to completely close the door. Now, I don't have any information that suggests that he is going to come back. I mean, I'm very good friends with him. We talk. We, don't, we haven't talked about that. I don't want to apply any pressure. But um, in that regard right now, but he's, uh, you know, he's Tom Brady. If, if, if a Tom Brady wants to come back, we'd welcome him back. So you know that fired up Brady to no end. Not the idea of him coming back to the Bucks, and the fact that the Bucks would be open to that, but the idea of people talking about Tom Brady because that's what that guy wants more than anything else right now. Anyway, the guy who retired to spend more time with his family was on the radio with Fred Couples yesterday because, sure, why not? Hey, don't get me wrong. I love Freddie. We all love Freddie. Freddie is one of the most beloved athletes ever. He's a legend. He's an icon. He's an enigma. Everybody loves Freddie. Nobody more so than me. However, if you're stepping away from football to spend more time with your kids, why are you doing interviews with Fred Couples? Freddie asked him, maybe you can tell us where you're going. Brady said, quote, I wish I had a clear vision of what the future holds. I think for me, there's a lot of great things and a lot of great opportunities that I know I said right after the football season that I was looking forward to spending more time with my family. And I've done that the last five weeks. And I know there will be a lot more of that too. End of quote. That's good, man. That is funny. That is one of the funnier things I've heard in a long time. Remember when he announced his retirement? It was all about getting away from the game to get back to being with his family, that he was all in on his career and put that ahead of his family and everything else for the past couple of decades, that if you're going to be truly great, you have to be selfish. You have to be all in. And something is going to hurt. Something's going to... It's going to be the expense of something else. His family. So he retired to spend time with his family. And now he says, quote... I was looking forward to spending more time with my family and then chasing that with, and I've done that, the last five weeks. In other words, saw the wife, saw the kids, spent a few weeks with them, and now I'm good. Had my family time for a few weeks, so now it's Tommy time. Like, I retired to spend time with y'all, and I did a few weeks, but now it's about me. Now I got to get mine. Now there's so many exciting opportunities that I have to look into because I had my family time for a few weeks. 
I bet the kids loved hearing that. Pops was all about him their entire lives. And it's like, kids, daddy had to go all in in order for daddy to be the goat. But kids, daddy's coming home. Now it's all about us. It's all about you. It's all about fam for a couple of weeks. Now daddy's got to bounce. I mean, this dude simply will not go away. I'm not sure if he's even retired yet from football, but I do know this. He sure as hell is not retired from trying to get people to look at him and talk about him. I mean, this guy wasn't, quote, retired five minutes before the announcement of that terrible-sounding movie about him starring him. He sounded like a guy who was already sick of his family when that announcement dropped. And now he's hinting at it again when he talks to Fred Couples. You know what? I'll tell you what. I've actually done a 180 on Tom Brady. I've done a 180. I do want him back playing football. If only because it means it will stop all this other crap. You know, the coy games, the little word plays, the flirting with the NFL, him making movies about him, starring him. Like, all that crap hopefully will just stop if the guy does come back and plays football. If he comes back... We'll hear about him less than if he stays retired. Because from the sounds of it, the only thing this guy likes less than spending time with the family is people not talking about him. So do it, dude. Just do it. Just come back. Come back. Sign with the 49ers already. Everybody knows that's your dream. Just do it. Kick the fam to the curb. They don't need you to do the school run anyway. The kids get uber. And then you can go back to doing what you love. And then we can go back to not having to hear from you every single day. Do it. Come back to the NFL. Play football. Sign with the Niners. I've done a 180. Man, this dude will not go away. Will not go away. I've spent time with the family already? What, those five weeks? Those three weeks? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, but Dad, you were gone two decades. Yeah, well, I came back for two weeks. I'm good. Brandon Staley is my guest. Brandon, great to have you back. How are you? Jim, thanks for having me, man. Really good to have you. In fact, let me ask you, before we get into everything football-related, Brandon, I'm really curious about your process. When the season ends, what did you do? Did you take some time away, maybe unplug, get refreshed, or did you get right back to work? I was right to work, Jim. Uh, I think there was a lot to, to assess, a lot that just you know transpired, and you know it was really just attacking um, that, that last six months and really – detailing our performance, being critical of, of everything in the organization, really starting with myself. And I uh, really took that, that window from, you know, the last game to, that we played to the, to the Super Bowl um, and really assess our team uh, and assess my performance, most, you know, most importantly, and um, really make sure that, you know, when that last game ended, that we're ready for 2022 and uh, that we're headed somewhere, um, you know, with a lot of purpose. And so um, it was a really, you know, important time for me. I think I got a lot of good work done. Uh, and I was, you know, able to be around my family and, you know, around my boys and, you know, do the basketball, the, you know, the, the tennis and, and getting started in flag football. So that was amazing, too. And uh, now we're ready for 2022. That sounds about what I would expect from you. Brandon Staley joining us so quickly. When you look back on last season, well, actually, when you look at yourself, you said, because that's where I have to start. What kind of a mark or grade would you give yourself? How would you assess how you did last season? Well, I was, we were nine and eight. So that's what type of coach I was. Um, and I feel like, uh, you know, there were so many things, you know, looking back one year ago where we were and where we are, 
there's so many things that uh, I've learned from, uh, but I'm really proud of, you know, kind of living the mission statement of, you know, relationships and competition, really establishing an identity and a way of playing, you know, a standard of performance every day. I think that that's really important, uh, building relationships within your team, within your organization. I think that we did that well. Um, I love the way we competed and laid it on the line. I love the way that our team played in those 17 games. Um, and then from a specific standpoint of my own performance is just making sure I do a, a lot better job of establishing a rhythm, a routine, a process for people to go operate, communicate at a higher level. Um, you know, I told you last year, Jim, you know, or during the season that, hey, I'm doing everything for the first time all the time. Um, well, now that's not the case. You know, when you come back and I look at where I was last year to where I am now, you know, I'm so much better. And I think it's being really critical of your performance um, where you know that you can be so much better for your, for your group. And, and I think that that's why I'm so confident moving forward because um, I know I'm a lot you know, more prepared to, to be as good as I can be. Brandon Staley is joining us. You know, it's so interesting what you just said, that everything was a first time last year when you and I spoke. The thing is, this is your first combine as a head coach after last year's was changed due to COVID. So how does it feel to be on the ground in Indy and be a part of it? You know, it feels good to be back with the, with the rest of the NFL. Jim, there's kind of an energy that, that's here in Indianapolis, and you kind of know what you're up against. You know, I think it's a – the combine for me has always been a reminder of who you're up against and the competition that's in the NFL. And so you're, you're starting your process, you know, getting, you know, the free agency, you know, the market uh, established with agents and kind of, te- you know, uh, seeing what's out there with, with other people. And so that, that process is starting franchise tag window – and then you're, you're at the beginning of the draft process with, with potential draft-eligible players. So um, there's a lot of work that's being done, and I think that's what's important is that you're here and you're getting a lot of work done. And so um, it's exciting to be able to talk to you and, and, and talk to the media, um, you know, in, in, in a way talk to our fans. And then also, like, hey, you're in the middle of, of your process, you know, as a coaching staff and as a personnel staff. So um, it's, I've been off and running, and we've gotten a lot of work done. And now a message from my friends at Discover, and it's all about rewards. If you're a loyal credit card customer, you should be rewarded for that loyalty, preferably with something that is useful, you know, like cashback match, for instance. Discover matches all the cashback that you have earned at the end of your first year. Finally, rewards that actually make sense. Discover exceptionally common sense. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Limitations do apply. Chargers head coach Brandon Staley is joining us. You know, I'm curious about process and identity and culture. Like, I loved, Brandon, how aggressive you were throughout the entire season. I loved I loved it because it showed a confidence and a belief in your team, your process, your players, your culture. Having said that, is it possible to ever be overly aggressive? Like, when you look back, were there times where you may have been even too aggressive? How do you see that? Well, Jim, I, I really took the approach going into it that I was going to talk to our team about how we were going to play. Um, and that, you know, the, you know, to me, uh, scoring the football is, is the way you win in this league. And I know that because of what I have to defend on defense on a game to game basis. Uh, and I want to increase the ops for our offense, um, to score the football. And when you believe in your people, you know, and you believe in Corey Lindsley, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, you know, uh, Austin Eckler, you believe in, um, you know, your quarterback as much as I believe in Justin Herbert. Um, you want to maximize those opportunities. And then you want to talk to your defense and special teams and say, hey, if this doesn't go down, then we're going to be ready for the other side of it. But, hey, we're going to create an advantage by the way that we play. And, um, you know, and, and I think that that's what I try to do is treat each of those decisions like they had a life of their own. Um, they're not all treated the same. 
Um, you know, when we play Denver, you know, second to last game of the season, you know, you kick a couple field goals because you know it's going to be a possession game. You know, it's a different game. They're playing with a backup quarterback. Um, it's a different set of circumstances than, hey, week three against Kansas City on the road. Um, that's going to be a different set, set of circumstances going to Philadelphia or at Cincinnati. Um, you know, you can point to some of these decisions, but I think we were consistent with our process. Um, and I think I was really transparent with our players, most importantly. Like, hey, they know exactly what our, our, our mindset is going into these games. Um, and every circumstance is different. And, but I do think, you know, in talking with our guys, you know, they know that um, I believe in them. And, and, and I think that that goes a long way in, in establishing a championship caliber football team chargers head coach brandon staley is my guest brandon you mentioned justin herbert seems to me one of the really striking things about him is and i get this from talking to him and you and his teammates and some of the other coaches is the confidence that he instills in everybody as the head coach and somebody who's now worked with him for a year or so what do you see in him that makes him special that makes him an outlier you know jim i think the the thing that stands out to me um is that when i think of him i don't think about you know, how big or strong or, you know, athletic he is, you know, none of the things that everyone can see from 30,000 feet. I, I see what's underneath, you know, all of that, like the type of fierce competitor that he is, the work ethic that he has, his smarts, you know, his willingness to really invest in his craft to be as good as he can be. I can see him, you know, taking the script and memorizing it before a walkthrough and then coming back in, you know, and then getting the other script for the practice, being the first one on the practice field, the last one to leave and getting those extra throws, um, you know, I'm the one on Friday where the last two people out of the building and he's getting that extra preparation, the, the calm before the storm and we're connecting before the weekend. And, you know, I get to see all that stuff. I get to see him in the weight room early in the morning and, and him lifting and grinding with his teammates and getting under that squat rack or under that bench press. And, um, you know, I said it last year to you, Jim, is that he's one of the guys. And you know how important that is for, for your starting quarterback to just be one of the guys. I think that's what, why people love him so much, and um, I think that's what, why you're seeing him improve as much as he's improved because he's putting so much into it. Brandon Staley's joining us. Brandon, you obviously have your team, your situation, but I'm curious. You, of course, were the Rams' defensive coordinator before you took over the Chargers. What kind of emotions did you have when they won the Super Bowl, and did you feel like you had a piece, a piece of that or some equity in that? Well, I think as a competitor, Jim, where it started was is I was gutted that we weren't in that game, you know, and um, – that, that, that's where my mindset was, is that we weren't in that game. Um, and so um, it was tough for me, you know, after our last game to, to the last game of the season in the Super Bowl, that was as tough as of a stretch as I've had, you know, as a competitor. Um, and knowing that you beat that team that, that represented the AFC, um, you know, on the road. And so, um, you know, but I'm really happy for all those people um, within, you know, with the Rams because – Without those people, I wouldn't be the head coach of the Chargers. And so those guys mean a lot to me. Um, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, who you talk about. There's too many to name, but the coaches, the players, um, you know, they were directly responsible for me earning this opportunity. So I was happy for them. And, um, you know, at the same time, you know, you know, uh, hey, 2022 is here. And, you know, to be able to, to earn that opportunity, how much work it's going to take. I can appreciate that response. Brandon Staley joining me for a few more moments. So in terms of 2022, like in the NFL right now, obviously there's a relationship between scheme and talent. Ultimately, does scheme win in this league or do players win? Players win in this league. They always will. Um, and it's their belief and their understanding of the scheme, um, you know, that, that brings ultimately uh, an NFL game to life. 
Um, but players are always going to be the reason why you win and lose. And, um, you know, what? it's our responsibility as coaches. It's our responsibility as leaders of the organization to make sure our players have full belief and confidence in what we do and how we do it, and then making sure we onboard the right personnel that gives us that opportunity to become a world champion. And, and I think that, um, you know, that's where our process is, is it always starts with our people. And, you know, Jim, when you talk about an NFL organization, and this is what makes sense to guys like you and to fans, is that the players are what makes the NFL special. They've got the toughest job in the NFL. And, um, you know, that's what's at the, the forefront of all of our thought process with the Chargers are those guys wearing shoulder pads and helmets. And um, uh, I think we're off to a great start with the Chargers, and I can't wait for this next three months to, to make our team even stronger. All right, so let me finally ask you about that then. So when you're looking to make that team stronger and you're looking for players both in free agency and the draft, obviously you're going to look for talent, you're going to look for fit, but what kind of personality characteristics are you looking for? You know, Jim, I think that you, you're just trying to establish, you know, the critical factors for the position and, 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 and letting that be your guide, um, you know, of what you see, uh, you know, on, t- on film and making sure that, you know, you, you don't confuse what we do. Okay, what we do is, what those guys have to do um, is, is, is really challenging. And you got to find the, you know, the, fit the parameters uh, by position, you know, each side of the football in the kicking game um, to build a complete team, you know, and there's a difference, Jim, between building a championship team and a pro bowl team. And what you're trying to do is build a team that's deep enough, that's complete enough to beat anybody that you play. All right. Regardless of the environment, regardless of the time in the season, and, um, you know, that's what I think that we have a great opportunity to do this offseason is to build a complete team, um, you know, because this league is really tough. And to go win, to go play 17 regular season games and then three or four more, um, you know, you have to have a deep team and a complete team. And I think that that's what I'm excited to, to get underway this offseason. I was going to say, I've heard you talk about that, Brandon, deep and complete. That makes sense. One quick thought. Like, when you think about the draft right now, it feels like for a number of years there has been wave after wave of receivers who show up and they can make an immediate impact. So from a defensive perspective, what does that mean for the cornerback position? And do you see the same depth at talent at corner coming in? Yeah, Jim, you just said it. And that's where the NFL is right now is with these quarterbacks. Um, in the passing game, um, you better have guys that can cover, who can cover. And, um, you know, as, as much as everyone talks about rushers, you know, you've probably heard that, like, well, rushers, well, you can neutralize rushers, you know. You can't, you, what you can't. So if that happens, do you have the cover guys that can hold up, you know. And, and, and to me, it's, it's onboarding as many defensive backs as possible um, who can cover, uh, who can play the ball in the deep part of the field, and who are outstanding tacklers. And so – the, the secondary is where it's at on defense in the NFL um, in terms of the passing game. Um, and then at the line of scrimmage, you got to have the guys that, you know, have the power, the, the strength, um, you know, to be at the point of attack. And so, um, you know, that's where we're always going to invest, Jim, you know, as long as I'm the head coach. And I know that, you know, Dean and Tom, uh, you know, Dean, John, Tom, myself, we believe in that wholeheartedly is, is, is building a secondary um, that can go against all these, these big time players because, you know, as you mentioned, you know, there are a bunch of them right now playing quarterback and receiver. You bet. Another great conversation. Brandon Staley is the head coach of the L.A. Chargers. They were 9-8. and eight. They've got the 17th pick in this year's draft. Brandon, really appreciate you making time for me and for the show. I know you've got a lot on your plate right now. So good to have you back, Brandon. Thanks so much. So much respect, Jim. Can't wait to see you again soon. You too. Much respect. 
So you know the best athletes know that your championship body is not built in a day. Well, the same is true when it comes to your long-term financial goals. Get financially fit with M1, the finance super app. It is commission-free, and it makes growing your money easier so you can strategize for the end game. Build a custom portfolio or choose a pre-built portfolio that speaks to your goals. Then automate your everyday money moves and use your extra time to watch the highlights. They even make it easy to stick to your investing strategy by automatically rebalancing your investments. Every time you buy into your portfolio, keeping your investments close to where you want them to be. That way, your portfolio sticks to the plan for the long game. There are no huddle-ups necessary. Visit m1finance.com sports. That's M with the number one. Sign up and see why Money, Investopedia, and Yahoo Finance are proud superfans of M1. That's M, the number one, dot com slash sports. Investing does involve risk, including the risk of loss. M1 Finance, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. Let's talk hefty for a minute. Hefty. Phil Mickelson, to me also, is amazing, but in a very different way. It's like it's remarkable that I've talked more about this guy in the last three weeks than I have in the last three years, and it's all for terrible stuff. There was him hyping the, quote, scary mother bleepers because he thought that that would help him make even more money. Then it was him making himself out to be the victim of hyping the scary mother bleepers and blaming it on the fact that the last decade has been extremely stressful for him. And then he announced he was going to step away for a while. But like Tom Brady, who was going to step away for a while, Hefty is already back. And he's back for the most hefty of reasons. He's back to make money. And he's wrong. You know, the things that he's best at. Making money and being wrong. Last year, the PGA Tour introduced the Player Impact Program, PIP. And the way that works is they throw a fat stack of cash at players based on their popularity. The idea is make the game more popular, get it to trend and all that, right? So how fat is that stack of cash? Really fat. The winner gets eight mil. Second place, not a set of steak knives, six mil. So it pays to be popular. So how do they go about calculating that popularity? Apparently, it's some crazy formula which uses Google searches, Q rating, the MVP index, their meltwater mentions, and the Nielsen brand exposure rating. What? Lycos and Dogpile didn't want any of that? No love for AskJeeves.com? Why not throw in the Waffle House Index and the Alta Vista searches? Listen, I don't get it either. And when you see who won, you're not going to get any more clarity on this either. On December 29th, Hefty tweeted, quote, I'd like to thank all the crazies and real supporters too for helping me win the PIP. To get the second half of the money, I have to add an event, I haven't played in in a while. See you in Kapalua. P.S. I'll try and find another hot, controversial topic soon. End of quote. All right, so that was at the end of December. But what that is really is the ultimate fig jam tweet. I'd like to thank you all for me being me. 
I would like to thank all of you for me being awesome. I would like to thank all of you for me being eight mil richer. In other words, fig jams, gonna fig jam. Man, you know he had to be so pumped by that tweet. I guarantee the second he hit send on that, he did that little celebratory jump that he did when he won the Masters. You know, the one where you could barely slip a piece of paper under his spikes? I mean, getting eight mil. Eight mil? That's going to make up for a couple of bad bets. Urgh! That's a real nice bonus. Talk about making money while you sleep. Eight mil. And for what? Just having people look you up on Google? That's almost as good as making a chunk of dough through insider trading. Allegedly. Hey, believe me, if you're Phil Mickelson, getting eight mil is better than winning a tournament. The way this guy chases money, if he could sell his green jackets for some green backs, he would. Believe that. Imagine being that guy. Imagine being Phil Mickelson and knowing that you were going to get an extra eight mil and not for winning a tournament, not for beating actual golfers on a course. You were going to get it just for being hefty. And you're still complaining that you don't make enough money. The tour is just handing you millions of dollars because people Google you. And you're still so greedy that you're willing to get in bed with some, quote, scary mother bleepers. And why? So you can have even more money. Only one guy is that greedy. Hefty. Except there's only one problem with that tweet. He did not actually win. In other words, uh uh-oh, excuse me, my bad. Excuse me, my bad. I didn't win. Excuse me, Uh uh-oh. My bad. Uh-oh. I got the scores right. Uh, I, I got it wrong. The PGA Tour announced that the winner of the PIP is Tiger Woods. <laughs> huh? The only thing more bizarre than Phil Mickelson thinking that he won the PGA's PIP when he really didn't is a guy who has not played a PGA Tour event in more than a year winning the PGA's PIP. Tiger Woods is not a golfer right now. He's a guy who used to golf and was in a car accident that nearly ended his life and cost him his leg. So maybe all those Google searches were not about Tiger playing great golf. Maybe they were about people trying to figure out what the hell happened the day he wrecked that car in that one car accident. Maybe. And how much does it have to piss off Hefty? That he lost to a guy Hefty. who didn't even play last year. Hefty's out here doing a victory lap, only to find out that he just got beaten out by a guy who can't even play right now. And you know, Tiger was ready to dump some salt in Hefty's wound. He retweeted Mickelson's embarrassingly dumb tweet, declaring victory, and simply added, whoops, bracketed by two shrugging emojis. Sick burn, Tig. Sick burn, I guess. So Tiger gets 8 mil. Phil gets 6 mil. And you know he's pissed. This probably means he's on his way to Russia right now to see if he can start a golf tour with Putin to make a few more bucks. Rory, Jordan, Bryson, and Justin Thomas all get 3.5 mil. Dustin, 
Brooks, Rom, and Bubba get three mil each. And everybody else is stuck wondering, the hell is the point in this whole thing anyway? If the winner is a guy who was in a near-fatal car wreck, how is that growing the game? And if the second-place finisher is the greediest dude on the planet and a guy who won exactly one tournament, what are we doing here? Why are you just handing out 14 mil to a pair of guys who did next to nothing on the course last year? Like Brooks and Bryson practically giving each other the hands on a weekly basis trying to get that money. And it goes to a fat guy and a guy who was in the hospital for an extended stay. Tiger did not compete on the PGA Tour last year. Mickelson had more missed cuts than he had top tens. Yet those two dudes are each walking around with 14 mil between them. How does that make sense? And if this is about growing the game, go ahead and consider that a miserable failure. People were not Googling Tiger because of what he did on the course. They were Googling him because they were trying to figure out how he jumped that curb and drove into a tree. And they weren't Googling Phil because he was playing amazing golf. They were Googling him because, well, actually, I've got no idea why anybody would Google Hefty. Probably because of something stupid he said or did. You know, toughen up. I mean, you may as well just throw a couple of YouTubers on tour at this point. And the hilarious thing about that tweet claiming victory when he hadn't was him saying, quote, P.S., I'll try and find another hot controversial topic soon. And then less than two months later, the scary mother bleepers quote comes out. I mean, say what you want about this guy being a giant, greedy baby, but he does know himself pretty well. He knew he'd put his foot in his mouth at some point or his foot in it at some point, and then he sure as hell did, right? So you can't say that guy does not know himself. And if they don't change up that metric, Phil will win this thing next year. You know he will. He absolutely will. He just needs to find another group of scary mother bleepers that he can hop into bed with. Let's keep it real. Yeah, I don't know that that worked out so well. One guy didn't play, and the other guy's hefty. 14 mil between the two of them. And now a message from Discover about customer service and common sense. When you have a credit card... When you have credit card questions, it is nice to have them answered by a real person. You know, someone who can actually understand your issues and work to resolve them. In other words, what you don't need is a robot. And that's why Discover offers helpful U.S.-based representatives available 24-7. No wonder we call it live customer service. Discover, exceptionally common sense. L.A. at Charlotte, Saturday night. Javier Chicharito Hernandez is my guest. Javier, it's great to have you on the program. How are you? Hi, very good. Thank you for making time for me. Well, thank you for making time for me. Let me ask you, we, I wish we had even more time, but I want to ask you about that goal you had Sunday against NYCFC. It was a tie game going into the 90th minute when the ball found you in the box and you scored. <laughs> Can you take me through the goal? What did you see? I mean, what I see is I have a great opportunity to score, you know, and what I thought was that the defender was going to think that I'm going to shoot first time. So luckily he just uh, dived and, de- and did the, the, the tackle. And then luckily I just, I just faked the shot and then I just took my, my shot and he went through. You know, even, even though a defender of them just uh, touched a little bit, but thankfully the, the, the goal went back to the net. And yeah, I mean, for me it was, it was a very important goal, but 
especially for everyone you know, in this organization, the stadium, the fans, the crowd. It was a, a, full, a full stadium. Like you said, it's a very tough uh, match to play against the, the, the actual champions. You know, they were, they were playing very good in the Coca Champions Tournament. Uh, they were so tough, so very good team. And yeah, thankfully, in the last minute, we, we could break them. Chicharito joining us. All right, so you arrived in MLS back in 2020. So you're fully settled into the league, but what was the transition like for you to come from Europe and play here? I mean, a normal transition, like 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 every transition I had since since I left uh, in Mexico. You know, when I went to the, <coughs> to the Premier League, I need to. I had a transition when I went to Spain as well. When I went to Germany, then when I went back to 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 the Premier League, then I went back to the to the La Liga, and then I came here. I mean, all the transitions take time. Uh, you need to adapt yourself. You need to to learn about how the league is, uh, the the difference of culture as well, cities, everything. I think it's just adaptation. You know what what it takes. So yeah, the transition was complicated, like, like all of them. But but as well, I, I, I need I need to speak about a massive factor not only for me, for you, uh, for the whole humanity. You know, COVID hit all of us. You know, when when I arrived here three weeks later, that I arrived here three four weeks. Uh, COVID hits the first pandemic. The, the pandemic starts, and and yeah, everything changed in a way, and it was very difficult not only for me, just just for 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 everyone in this world. You bet, Javier Chicharito Hernandez joining us. Now you're going to face Charlotte on Saturday, and the expectation is they're going to have roughly seventy five thousand fans for that match. Amazing, would, amazing, right? That would break an MLS amazing. record. It would be the biggest soccer match in the world this year. How much are you looking forward to that matchup? <clears throat> Oof, a lot. A lot, you know, we're going to play against against a new organization that that, that is going to be a, a good city in the east, and, and like you said, you know, with seventy five thousand around fans just supporting them and in a full capacity, all that atmosphere. I think it's going to be incredible. It's going to be great, and hopefully, we can just take the three points. You know, even though they were the away team, that's our main goal. That's our our, our mindset. You know, to go over there, try to beat a very hard opponent that, that they're going to be. They're very hyped because they're going to play with their fans for the first time. I think it's going to be it's going to be a very interesting match. You know, I'm curious. Like you've played in front of some enormous crowds with the Mexican national team and throughout Europe. What is the energy like when you're playing in front of a massive crowd like that? Do you get any extra energy from that? I mean, yes, yes, of course, of course. It's it's, it's more people, more energy. Of course, it's a it's a different atmosphere when you play without people. Like like, like I mentioned it in the in the when when COVID hit. In the bubble with with few fans, but yeah, of course, of course, it's changing a way, but it's more energy. The the situation here is 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 uh, myself and and my team and everyone else here in LA Galaxy. We can uh, manipulate that energy in our favor, you know, to take it in a in a, like a gasoline type of mode that, that 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 can bring us up together, and we can just elevate our performances and try to yeah to put to put the best out of ourselves. Uh, for for the benefit of the of the group of the team. Now, Javier, you have been a star and a celebrity for a long, long time. I mean, like you grew up like that. I want to ask you really quickly about your family and your grandfather in particular. He was a huge star, and he passed away nearly two years ago. I know he meant so much to you. Many people knew him as a legend, but what was your grandfather like as a person and even as a grandfather? I mean, he he was uh, well. He still is, even though. Uh, he he's not here with us uh, with his body, but yeah, he was he was a huge uh, yeah person, uh, influence, and and most of everything in my life, you know, because he was my, like my second father. I spent so much time with him. He was uh, my second hardest uh, judge in a way, I can say, or critic in my house because the first one was my father. Then 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 himself, 
he played soccer. Uh, he went to a World Cup. My dad did the same. So, uh, yeah, he was he was he was such a very a very important part of my life. Uh, as well in that in that transition that we spoke before uh, that it happened when when the pandemic hits and we and we need to stay home in quarantine and stuff. My, my granddad died. I couldn't even go to to Mexico to his funeral or say goodbye or stuff like that. You know, and he passed away. So it was a very a very hard moment for me. And it was the first time that I faced a death with with a loved one like, like like so so close. You know, because my other two grandparents died, but I didn't spend that much time. The the, the parents of my father. But with the with the with my with the parents of my mother, my granddad and my grandmother, I've been I've been growing up and I've been spending so much time since since I came to this world. So yeah, he's been he's been huge, he's been massive. I just repeat that in general because I cannot just mention one, two or three things. You know, he he was with me in every step of of, of my of my youth and not only in the in the soccer steps, even in my life. Been together since since he died two years ago. So yeah, I mean. I miss him so much, and and yeah, he's when every single time that I speak about him, he just touch my heart, touch my emotions, and just remember him uh, more deep every time that I speak about him. That's beautiful, and I appreciate your thoughts very much. Let me ask you one last thing. Your former Galaxy teammate Jonathan Dos Santos said that you can do a great American accent. <laughs> what is your reaction to that? And then, how good is your American accent? Right now, <laughs> oh Jonah. First of all, I want to say hi to him. Uh, he's he's in that period of transition in a new club, in a new club, in a new league in 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 our country. You know, in Mexico, I hope he they, they can they can take the best out of him because he's an amazing player, an amazing and talented human being. You know, too. So no, I cannot I cannot do that. We we were joking because sometimes we both try to to like like compete who does the the, the better accent, and that's why probably he told you that. But no, I don't have as you can as you can tell, I don't have any any accent, even though I. I sound sometimes very, very funny in the way that I speak, but I don't have, I don't have American accent at all. Dude, you actually sound great. L.A. is at Charlotte on Saturday. It is an enormous game. They're expecting 75,000-plus for that game. He's a forward for the Galaxy. Once again, Mexico's all-time leading goal scorer, a Gold Cup MVP, a Golden Boot winner, and this is how you close the show. Javier Chicharito Hernandez, my guest. Javier, thank you so much. Great to meet you. Great to have you on the show. Have a great weekend. Jim, such a pleasure, and thank you very much for giving me this time. Hey now, are you craving some protein after a good workout? Do not make a shake. Do not eat a bar. Reach for a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty. It's tender. It's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And it goes wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying that way. Look for it in major retail stores near you. And clones, if you don't see it, just ask for it by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper, what is your beef? We are joined by Charles Davis. Charles, great to have you back. How are you? I'm doing great, Jim. It's great to hear your voice again. Hope everyone's well. Yeah, same with you. Great to hear yours. In fact, why don't we start here? After last year's Combine was canceled, how does it feel to be back at the Combine, and what is the atmosphere like this year? You know, Jim, I think it feels a lot like if you enjoyed high school or college, going back to your reunion. Or if you were the one who hated both but have become uber successful, you want to go back to your reunion because you want to show off and tell people you've, you bypassed them. But in this one, it's a much more of a, a, a welcome back hometown, 
great to see you again feeling where everyone's in person again. I get that. Charles Davis joining us. All right, so overall, when you look at the draft class, what are your overall thoughts? Where is it strong and where is it weak? Yeah, you know, I'll start with the, 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 the part that would be less than strong, right? Because time's got to prove out whether it's weak. But as we judge it right now, the quarterbacks aren't what they were last year because last year we had five going to top 15 picks. So if you're talking about that, and I would say, my own opinion from what I've seen so far, and we're still studying them, Jim, I don't have a single quarterback that would have a grade in this draft that would equal any of the top five of last year. Mm. So it's a different year that way. But where it's strong are big people, offensive line, defensive line, edge rushers. Those types of people are there. And by the way, just go ahead and mark it down. You and I, let's say we're doing this for the next 20 years, and then you're gracious enough to talk to me. The wide receiver group is strong and deep. Next 20 years is going to be like that because we're pitching and catching it out of Pop Warner now. When you and I were kids, Jim, the only pitches that were happening were coming off the option game. It's really interesting. Charles Davis, my guest, that you say that because Brandon Staley and I just had the same exact conversation. Charles, where I said to him, it seems like every single year there's a wave of these receivers that are coming in and they're making an impact right away. So I said to him then, how important is the cornerback position? And he had a great response to that. Let me ask you this. The expectation is that Jacksonville will use that number one pick and take offensive tackle Evan Neal from Alabama. He's not planning on working out at the Combine, but anybody, Charles, who has seen that box jump from a while back, is going (laughs) to love his athleticism, right? How do you see his game translating to the NFL? I see it translating well because he's a guy who's already been versatile in college, Jim. He's played, look, three years at Alabama, he started three different spots. So he's not locked in like, this is my position, this is what I do, and it's the same movement. He has gone wherever the team has needed him and produced at a high level. And if they want to kick him inside to guard, if that ends up happening, which I highly doubt, this would not be a kid that's going to be you know, calling his agent and saying, hey, they moved me in the guard, I'm a left tackle, blah, blah, blah. But I'll put it to you this way, Jim. When you talk about the athleticism, he's weighing well over 300 pounds, right? He got up from talking to me today and walked away, and I was struck by nowadays, and it's been like this for a little while, you can't tell who's 300 pounds anymore. It used to be you, you, you could spot a 300-pounder you know, half a block away because – he had Dunlop's disease. His belly dumb lopped over his belt. Nowadays, these kids carry it so easily, so well, that they look like they're 275 pounds. Mm, Charles Davis joining us. What a great analysis or a bit of analysis that is. That's so true. Now, what about when you go back to the quarterbacks? There's been a lot of talk, Charles, about quarterback Kenny Pickett and his hand size. How big of a factor is hand size when you evaluate him or anybody else? For me, it's not a huge factor. But I'm going to quote my college coach, John T. Majors. It's not a factor until it's a factor. And we always used to laugh as players, Jim. We'd like, oh, my God, here goes coach with that again. And what he always meant was nothing's a factor unless you let it become one. And for Kenny Pickett, you know, now because his hand size was measured and he's less than nine-inch hands, now everyone's writing about who were the last guys drafted that had those types of hands. Have we had a quarterback draft in first round who had hands that small? And the answer is no. <laughs> and, and, and what I mean about the factor is, how does he take care of the ball in the pocket under duress? That's going to be the bigger factor to me because he's been throwing it like this his whole life. And so, so this is not an issue. You know, How's the ball going to come off his hands the way it did when you saw him on tape? 
to me, it's much more a factor is can he handle the ball under duress in the pocket and not have it knock free easily? Does he have to be a two-handed guy, you know, make sure you cover it up, take care of it? Maybe. That's okay because you're taking care of the football. But until it proves that, you know, these hands are the major issue for him, I keep waiting for the guy to break through with less than nine-inch hands, and now we don't have to worry about it. And to me, he's still in contention to be in the first round, even though, as I said, none of the quarterbacks here in my system, you know, whatever you want to call that, are the equal of the five last year in terms of grading. But that doesn't mean we're not going to have quarterbacks going the first round. That's following. Mm, Charles Davis joining us. What about the guys who are paid to get after the quarterback? How special are the pass rushers in this year's draft? <laughs> They're pretty special. I mean, Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan. Okay. Then you go on Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon. Arnold Ebikiti from, from Penn State. Jermaine Johnson, Florida State, Trayvon Walker, Georgia. I can go on and on. It's a very deep group of people. You're going to get people in the third and fourth round that can rush the passer, Jim. People may not talk about it, but my Jay Sanders from Cincinnati, you might get on day two, day three, and is going to be an effective player off the edge. So it is a deep group. It's a good group. And we saw in the Super Bowl, and we saw throughout the playoffs, Cincinnati overcame a lot in terms of pressure on their quarterback until it became a a huge factor in the Super Bowl down the stretch when Aaron Donald couldn't be blocked, and now now it's an issue. So, yeah, (laughs) finding guys to block these guys is a big deal. And it's not just inside pressure. it's It's that pressure off the edge that we're talking. We're talking to Charles Davis. Now, you got to Kayvon Thibodeau pretty quickly. What is your reaction, Charles, when you hear people questioning his motor and his heart? Is there anything to that, or is that just the kind of thing that comes up about pass rushers almost every single year at this time? When has it not come up, Jim? Right. (laughs) You've been around the block a couple times, right? Remember when Miles Garrett came out? I do. That was one of the things that was discussed. Right. Does he play hard every down? Is he going to be a factor? I'm not saying there's not something to it. The the people that I respect in this game do a great job of scouting, getting information, being around it. So I don't think it's out there, Jim, for no reason whatsoever. My thing is that these kids can play past that. When's the last time they won question Miles Garrett's motor? Not since then. So there was a discussion then, but there's not a discussion now. So Thibodeau can be one of those guys. Now it could prove to be true, but he's going to have to answer all those questions. You, not, you and I both know that when they get here, when he's here in Indianapolis, that's going to be a major question in every room he goes to. He's going to have to answer that question. Teams going to have to decide what they like about the answers or don't like about the answers, gauge it with the tape, and then make their pick. All I know is this. I'll still be surprised if he gets out of the top ten. NFL Network's coverage of the Combine on-field workouts kicks off tonight, 4 o'clock Eastern, with quarterbacks, wide receivers, and tight ends. Charles Davis joining me for a few more moments. Charles, let me ask you about the New York Giants for a moment and their situation. How likely is it, in your mind, that they'll try to move Saquon Barkley? I think it's pretty likely. It's a brand-new GM who, who didn't draft him. It's a head coach who ran his offense without a feature running back, so to speak, over the last few years now. We all know Josh Allen was the feature, not just thrower, but runner. In a lot of ways, he's old-school single wing. But at the same time, Brian Dable's philosophy and the way they evolved in Buffalo, and he said it to me multiple times, so I didn't feel like I was giving away any confidences. We are a passing team that sprinkles in the run. Now, if he will do that with the Giants, remains to be seen. See how it goes with him. 
But I think to Saquon Barkley, if he can bring back some people for them, the way this game has gone, that lead runner, that bell cow guy, and he hasn't been able to be healthy, That's I can see where they would definitely be in play for him. The flip side, Jim, is the way defenses are slimming down, if you have a back that's 220, 225 pounds is substantial and beats you up in the run game, that guy is valuable. I thought where Cincinnati got away from it a little bit in the Super Bowl, but Joe Mixon didn't touch it enough. You know, he has an effect on people. Obviously, Derrick Henry, but he's almost an outlier because, you know, you're talking 250 pounds. But look at the leading rushers in the league this year. Just about all of them are 220 or above. All right, so when you mention Dable and then you mention Josh Allen, let me ask you this, Charles. What about the fact that because Dable's not with the Giants, the Bills are going to promote Ken Dorsey to offensive coordinator. Given his relationship with Josh Allen, how do you like Dorsey in that new role? Love him. Love him in the new role, and it's for this reason. Multiple people across the league over the last few years that I've been, you know, I've been with CBS for the last two seasons, so it's been more AFC-centric. So I've seen Buffalo more. I will tell you, Jim, most weeks when I have Buffalo, if I call people and talk to people as I get ready for the game, Ken Dorsey's name kept coming up from other coaches, other people around the league. Hey, he doesn't get enough credit for what he's doing with Josh Allen. Yes, Brian deserves a lot of credit. Let's not take it away. But we don't talk about Ken Dorsey enough, his relationship, the way that he does things with him. That's why I think it's going to be a seamless transition in terms of Josh Allen and Ken Dorsey. Ken Dorsey now has to make the transition to being a play caller, not just co- not just coaching a position. Mm. All right, one last thought for you. Last month, you were a part of the coverage of the HBCU Legacy Bowl. I'm curious, what did you make of the entire week leading up to that game and the talent that was on display? A, a terrific week for these youngsters to get an opportunity to come in one place, concentrate and do it. And, Jim, what I was really encouraged about is it wasn't done differently than how we would go to a Senior Bowl, an East-West game, an NFL PA game, the whole deal. Talk about how practices were structured, how the kids were evaluated, all of those things. The NFL team sent their scouts in. They checked these kids out all week. Uh, you know, they had a lot of drills that you would see at all the other bowls I just mentioned, especially the one-on-ones. You saw the competition. And I do think out of that, I think that there will be four or five of these players, and there were some who weren't there that are here at the Combine, that will be in consideration to get drafted. One guy was a little disappointed, wasn't here, and didn't get brought here, was the quarterback of Quill Glass from Alabama A&M. Because I really wanted to see him throw with these other guys here and get a better evaluation that way. He has production that is very similar to a young man who's here from Western Kentucky named Bailey Zappi. And I'm a big Bailey Zappi fan. I wanted to see a Quill Glass with his size, see his physicality, see him throw the football. But there will be guys that are going to be evaluated. Deshaun Dixon from Norfolk State, a defensive tackle. You know, Keenan Forbes, an offensive guard from Florida A&M. You know, wide receivers that were there, you know. So we're going to see some guys that will be evaluated and have a chance to get drafted into the NFL. I think that they did their job with the Legacy Bowl, and I think it's only going to get better, especially with transfer portals, NILs. You'll see more and more talent going back to the HBCUs, Jim. No doubt. He is an NFL and CBS analyst. He is an NFL Network analyst. And NFL Network has coverage of the Combine. On-field workouts. It's kicking off at 4 p.m. Eastern with the quarterbacks, the wide receivers, and the tight ends. He is Charles Davis. Great job, Charles. Appreciate you. Appreciate that conversation very much. Good to have you back. Thanks a lot, Jim. Always appreciate you. You take care of yourself. Stay safe. You too, my man. Charles Davis joining us.
Appreciate that. So we went back to back. Some good talk leading up to the combine, which gets underway. The NFL Network is all over that. Just saw an amazing tweet, an incredible tweet. And this goes back to the topic from yesterday that was part of the topic in the open. Matt Herpes. All right. I'm not trying to sensationalize this in any way. It's an actual thing. Look it up. Jorge Masvidal tweeted, quote, Hope you took your Valtrex this week at Colby Cub MMA. Jorge Masvidal just tweeted that. Hope you took your Valtrex. <laughs> I'm telling you, you can talk all you want about NBA Twitter. There's nothing better than UFC Twitter. And to Jorge, it's if you're listing your house for sale, wouldn't it stand a reason that the more eyes on that house, the better? right? This is why you do an open house. This is why you have agent showings. This is how you drum up interest. The more people that see the property, the more likely you are to move that property. Unless you're Tony Stewart. Because Smoke put his house on the market and it went viral quickly. So you would think that's a good thing if you're selling a big house. Except it went viral for all the wrong reasons. Now, here are some of the specs. Here are the details of that house, in case you're interested in writing up an offer. Six bedrooms, 11 bathrooms, 20,000 square feet. It sits on 415 acres and has a nine-acre pond that is fully stocked. All sounds good, right? Sounds like a dream home. But then you get to the photos. Now, the first one is nice. You see the house on a lake. That's cool. Who would want to live on a lake? By the way, I do have a house on a lake in northern Wisconsin. Lake life is the best life. It just is. Then there's a photo of the gates to the home. Nice, fancy, private gated home on a lake. I see you working. You know, a successful rich guy like that probably would have something like that. Then you get the overhead shot from a distance. Still looking good. Looking more like a rustic lodge than a house, which is actually cool. It's authentic. Then there's a photo from outside the front door. Then things get really rustic. You've got a lot of antlers on that chandelier. Now, I've seen this look. I know this look because we used to have a home in Montana. So I saw that look quite a bit. So what I know about that look is that's not permanent. You could take that down. That's not a big problem. But then you get inside and you start walking around and, well, holy Bass Pro Shops. Now, I know that Bass Pro Shops was getting a ton of run on Twitter once that listing went viral. And now I know why. Because if you ever wanted to live inside of a Bass Pro Shop, I've got the home for you. Everything about this place screams hunting and fishing store. And I mean everything. I'm not talking about a couple of posters or paintings or a fish on a plaque. I'm talking about a two-story waterfall and a trout stream in the entry. As in a two-story waterfall and trout stream inside the house. It's like this dude took his architect and home builder to a Bass Pro Shop and said, Give me that. I want 20,000 square feet of that. I want to live in and wake up every single morning of my life in a Bass Pro Shop. I want a bleeping Bass Pro house. 
Like, that sounds like something a seven-year-old would come up with, right? I mean, isn't that something you would think if you were a seven-year-old and you grew up in the outdoors like that? Like, how sick would it be if we could live in a Bass Pro Shop? Dad? Except Smoke went ahead and did it. He went ahead and did it as an adult. So if you're wondering why the price of lumber has gone up recently, maybe it's because Smoke has cornered the market. He now has all the lumber. All of it. That's a 20,000 square foot house, and it appears to be made entirely of Lincoln logs or something close to it. And like, if you've ever been inside a Cabela's and said, man, this is great. I wish I could never leave. Then this is the place for you. He's even got a fake deer pretending to take a sip from the trout stream. It's like Bass Pro Shops meets Disney with beds and bathrooms, lots of bathrooms. Every photo I see, I half expect to see a cash register where I'd pay for my fishing rod or somebody asking me if I'd like my receipt in the bag or emailed to me. And if the two-story waterfall and the trout stream were not enough water for you inside the house, he's also got a 9,000-gallon aquarium in the living room. Why? I got a better question. Why the hell not? It's probably the exact conversation he had with that architect every single day that they were working this thing up. Why would we do that? Why should we put in a fish tank that could hold Shamu? Why? Why the hell not? Oh, and according to the listing, there is, quote, a bowling alley, a game area, a golf simulator room, and a lighted onyx bar. Listen, if you're a fan of Zillow hunting, if you're a fan of people listing insane houses then allow me to speak your language. Dr. Phil's son cannot believe how insane Smoke's house is. Papa John and the Papa Castle think that Stewart might have gotten a little carried away. And all of this can be yours for the low, low, low price of 30 mil. $30 million. Listen, I like the state of Indiana a lot. It's a really nice place. Like Logan might even look at the University of Indiana. Okay, now I've already got a house in Wisconsin. We're not going to build one in Indiana too. But Indiana is really nice. There are parts of that state that are beautiful. Maybe it's me, but 30 mil to live in that region of Indiana? I don't know. That feels like a big chunk of change. To sleep in a store... In Bartholomew County, Indiana. I mean, I don't know. Trust me. I know this much. His neighbors badly want him to get that number. I just can't imagine there are any comps in the area that would justify that cost. Again, I understand that real estate is popping right about now. I also understand that there's not enough inventory to meet demand. But my man is asking... For 1500 bucks per square foot. And yes, I'm aware there is acreage. Lots of acreage. But that's still $1,500 a square foot in Bartholomew County. Yeah, I don't know about that. I mean this when I say this. I really do want to hear from a realtor in a swanky area. Explain just how ridiculous that number is. $1,500 a square foot. And then explain asking that amount of money in that part of the country. Here's my final thought. If you like a house 
that's made of Lincoln Logs and it has strong outdoor recreation merchandise vibes. That's cool. If you've got the resources to build that dream home, good for you. Just don't expect anybody else to like it. Like, you know that old rap? All it takes is one. All it takes is one. All it takes is one. We just need to find one. I don't really buy that. Number one, it takes more than one to drive the price up. You want multiple buyers and multiple options. So it doesn't just take one. But if the argument is it only takes one to like it and then somebody will buy it, well, there is one. The problem is he already lives there. Unless he's going to sell the house to himself, I don't think there is another one. Certainly not at that price. You watch. You watch. He's going to run the proverbial realtor playbook. He'll drop the price, drop it again, drop it again. Nobody will bite. No pun intended. Then they will remove the listing altogether, wait a few days, and then relist it so the days listed counter goes back to zero days listed so it doesn't look like some old stale listing that's been on the market for two years even though everybody already knows it has been. Am I right, real estate nation? Of course I am. And you're welcome, Smoke. Don't be upset about that. That's airtime. I just gave you a free commercial for your $30 million monstrosity. Even though I know it would have been a hell of a lot cheaper to actually buy a Bass Pro Shop, set up a cot in the back, and then actually make money back on your investment and sell product from your kitchen. Wouldn't that have been easier? Good night now!